your boy DM3, and you're listening to Pandemonium with Mike Lindsley on the Buffalo Bills, exclusively on the Built to Buffalo Podcast Network. Marv Levy, of course, Hall of Famer, head coach, four straight Super Bowls in the 1990s, a Buffalo Bills legend, joins us here on the Pandemonium Podcast on the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network. Marv, how are you doing? Uh, belated happy birthday, and thank you so much for talking. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I'm doing okay now. Just recovered from the doggone COVID infection, but uh, I'm carrying on at 97. Never, never, never give in. I'm doing fine. Always great to talk <clears throat> with the great Buffalo Bills fans. No doubt, and it's exciting times in western New York. As you know, this is a Super Bowl contender. They were the prohibitive favorites going into the season. Um, you were just in Buffalo for the Monday night football game against Tennessee. What was the atmosphere like? And I know going back to Buffalo just brings back so many great memories for you, Marv. Well, you, you pretty much summed it up. Great memories going back. <clears throat> the Bills are at the forefront of the fight for that Super Bowl. Uh, I think they're in good hands. Uh, I have very high regard for Sean McDermott and the people on his staff and uh, the players that are there. So <clears throat> I was once a Buffalo Bills coach. I'm now a Buffalo Bills fan. Well, I'll tell you what, you were a heck of a coach. And, you know, a lot of people have made comparisons to the 1990s teams to this group here, you know, under this regime with Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott compared to Bill Polian and yourself, Jim Kelly, Josh Allen. Do you see any comparisons? I know that the Bills haven't gotten to the Super Bowl like you guys yet, but do you see at least from the model of what they are now, does it remind you of you guys at all? Well, every, there's always differences uh, from year to year, but uh, yeah, I've gotten to know Sean a bit. I've communicated with him from time to time, and uh, I think that uh, the Bills sure are in good hands with him. I don't know many of the other people in the organization. Jeremy Kelly, who's in charge of alumni uh, events, I, I do know, and he's a great guy. Um, no, I, I'm, I'm so happy for the Bills and for what I really feel are the greatest fans there are, the Buffalo Bills fans. I coached in a lot of places during my 47 years, but um, the Buffalo Bills fans are just incomparable. You know, I'm, I'm curious to know, if, if they were ever to win the Super Bowl, would you be more, would you be more relieved and, and happy because you guys didn't complete the task in the 90s, or would it make you feel worse and, and, and in the sense that you, that you didn't get one? Like, what, what side would you be on more, Marv? Well, certainly we always regret that we came so close but didn't win them. In the meantime... The Buffalo Bills fans are the ones who brought us fighting back year after year after year. And I know how jubilant they would be should the Bills uh, win the Super Bowl game. So I'm all for it. You know, the Bills, another comparison to those 90s teams is Von Miller to Bruce Smith. Um, you know, just that defensive record, the guy who keeps offensive coordinators up at night, you have to game plan around them. What is it like going into a game knowing, now look, you guys had a lot of great players, Kelly, Reed, Thomas, the list goes on and on, but Bruce Smith might have been the best player during that time. 
What is it like when you have a defensive player like that who can just completely and utterly change the game in your favor? Well, first of all, let me say I haven't studied the Bills nearly to the degree I did back then. I couldn't I couldn't name the roster now. Back then, I knew everybody in the front office. I knew uh, the cleanup ladies at night. I knew knew everything about it. So for me, uh, to me to make the comparison is tough. It's like saying, how do you compare Franklin Roosevelt with George Washington? <laughs> the time's passed. All right, fair enough. I have one more question for you, Marvin. I always love uh, talking with you. Um, what, what was your message as a head coach to your players on a daily basis? The NFL is such a grind. You know, the ups and the downs and the travel and injuries, and there's a lot of testosterone inside the locker room. You know, what What was your message from that? You know, we hear that word culture a lot with, with sports today, especially in the NFL, and McDermott and Bean have built that in Buffalo. A part of the culture, though, is is the head coach having control of the team and a bond with the team. What was your bond? What was your message to the players on a daily basis? What were you trying to get across? Of course, it can't be a, a one-sentence thing. Uh, it's, uh, it's how you conduct yourself. How, we want them to be good citizens. If, if uh, it was to con- put it into one little uh, uh, tiny paragraph, be play hard, play clean, play to win, but win or lose, dig right back in. I love it. Hall of Famer and uh, guided the Bills to four straight Super Bowls in the 1990s. He's on the Wall of Fame. He's one of my favorite people. Marv Levy, happy belated birthday, sir. 97 years old. You're awesome. Appreciate it very much. Go Bills, and please take care of yourself. Great talking. Well, thank you very much, Mike. It's a pleasure talking to you. i got to go now. I'm going to run the Chicago Marathon. Yeah, sure. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay, Mike. Great to talk to you and to the Buffalo Bills fans who are tuned in. Sensational conversation there with Marv Levy. And now let's get to the Steelers and Bills from this past weekend. Um, you know, look, th- this was just a classic, utter beatdown, right? I mean, there's just no other way to really say it. The Bills are sort of, I think, creating this early game DNA, right? This early game... <laughs> This early game, like, we're going to go down the field with the ball right away. We're going to score. We're going we're gonna to make it look like a blowout, and then we're going to screw around for a while because we're bored, and then we're going to turn it back on when we feel like it. I know that that probably isn't the plan, but let's face it. I mean, that's kind of what has happened multiple times this year, and that's what happened against the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, frankly, i, I got to say that, you know, after the Bills marched down, and they scored early to make it seven to nothing. Okay, and then the Steelers miff, muffed the punt of uh, the uh, kickoff return. You know, you, you kind of said to yourself, "Wait a minute here, like this game's going to be a blowout." I mean, they've got the ball now deep into Pittsburgh territory. It's got to be fourteen to nothing, and then it, it it wasn't. It was squandered, right? And you know, you kind of looked at it and you were probably a little frustrated because you knew that the Bills were the superior opponent. Um, you know, it, it was a very, very frustrating thing. Um, you know, that that drive that, that, that the Bills, you know, had the ball on um, was just complete and utter garbage. The play calling was horrible by Ken Dorsey. Um, if you remember, Allen passed it short right to Singletary. Um, 
for a four-yard gain. Singletary up the middle uh, for eight yards. Um, but then a penalty on Ryan Bates. That killed him. Offensive holding, 10 yards, set him back. Enforced at the 17, no play. Uh, and then you go second and long. Josh Allen passes short right to Stephon Diggs for uh, minus four yards. Terrible play call. And then Josh Allen incomplete deep left to Gabe Davis on third down. So just a complete waste of of a drive, a waste of points. And you're sitting there going, what the hell? Like, could it probably just put the game away on that drive? The Steelers battle back. You know, they got a field goal, which was, you know, certainly something that they needed to at least kind of get the confidence train going again. Um, you know, then the, the Bills come down, get a field goal, and they're up 10-3 to 3, um, going into the second quarter. And you're like, this game should be 21-3. to 3. This game should, the Bills should be up by three, four scores. And then in the second quarter, wow. Um, Gabe Davis again. Gabe Davis did it. On the first drive, a 98-yard pass from Josh Allen. First down, meh. Second down, meh. Third down, sure. Goodbye, Gabe Davis, 98 yards. A thing of beauty. When Allen goes back and he's ready to cock that arm and fire away, you just rise up. You know, you really do. Just like the Hamilton play, you got to rise up. Josh Allen, you got to rise up and watch this guy Chuck the football. He is, I'm telling you, it is so entertaining to watch. And you, you know good things are probably going to happen when the ball is kind of going out of the TV screen a little bit, you know, because that means that somebody's got, is burning down the field. And in this case, it was Gabe Davis for that first score. Well, guess what? Gabe Davis did it again. Gabe Davis went 62 yards, and this time not only caught the, it was just a one-play drive, right? It was a one throw. It was, it was pure and utter uh, uh, gold, as far as concentration is concerned, it was tremendous, tremendous concentration. Tremendous con- concentration. And he ripped the ball away from Minka Fitzpatrick. He gets the touchdown. Uh, and then the Bills really started to stomp on him. Um, you know, Stephon Diggs with a 15-yard TD pass from Josh Allen. Two plays, 53 yards. Uh, they were working, you know, the short fields and all the rest. And then, you know, in classic Bills fashion, it either comes late third, mid to late fourth, the Bills need that really, really long drive to cement things uh, or to take the uh, energy out of the other team. In this particular case, it was only over 237, but it felt like a long drive because they did burn 77 yards in eight plays, which ended with a Khalil Shakir 24-yard pass from Josh Allen. Bass makes the kick again, 31-3 Bills. At that particular point, I was in Maryland and there were technical difficulties. I don't know if that was the case throughout the country. Um, but there were technical difficulties with CBS. I was in Maryland visiting my sister and, you know, her husband and her son. And, uh, you know, we were in the living room watching, watching, like, what the hell, what the hell? And so they then they cut away. They went to a couple of commercials. And then they went right into Browns Chargers. And, th- and that was it for the Bills. I didn't see anything else. Um, caught, obviously, all the highlights and all the rest. And James Cook, you know, just kept pouring it on with a 24-yard run. Two plays, 65 yards, over 57 seconds. 38-3, to the Bills Get it done. And listen, when you're a superior team and you're playing an inferior team, you absolutely positively need to um, take care of business. I mean, you, you, you know, if you're playing, the Pittsburgh Steelers are arguably the worst team in the NFL. They really are. And they went into the game, I thought they were really, really challenged. I mean, really, really challenged. When you think about the difficulty of going into a game against that offense in the Buffalo Bills, right? Rookie quarterback, 
You don't have T.J. Watt, the best pass rusher in the NFL. You don't have your starting corner in Witherspoon. And you're going up against Stephon Diggs, a back and healthy Gabe Davis, Khalil Shakir, who's making things work, Isaiah Hodgins, Quentin Morris. Josh Allen did an unbelievable job. I mean, he threw the ball to one, two, three, four, five, six players on the Bills uh, roster in terms of the receiving core. And I thought the running game did a pretty darn good job, too. I mean, when you think about, you know, the Bills are going to have to run the ball. I don't think anybody's doubting that. The Bills are going to have to run the ball uh, at some point for many reasons. One, um, you know, come playoff time, you got to have some kind of semblance of a ground game. I'm not saying that you, you know, have to have Jim Brown, but you certainly need some semblance of a ground game, okay? Um, and number two, it, it obviously really helps, you know, Josh Allen. Uh, it helps him stay upright. It, it helps the defense guess a little bit. Um, so that's kind of where we're at with, with, with the run game. But they did show some things. Um, I thought all the running backs, in all honesty, I mean, Devin Singletary went for 42 yards on six carries. Allen went for 42 yards on five carries. So they were the shared leading rushers. Um, but James Cook showed, you know, those bursts. Uh, Moss didn't do anything at all. Uh, but but they had 120 total yards of rushing. And so the collective thing is they'll probably not get 100-yard rushers, right, unless it's Josh Allen, which we don't want. Um, <clears throat> but – if you can get 40 to 50 from Singletary, you know, 30 to 40 from Cook, a couple of design things where Allen runs, but he's not taking hits, and he picks up between 40 and 50. If you mix all that in and you're going to get 130, 40 yards, perfect. What I would like is to see 130 yards between Singletary and Cook and Moss and Josh Allen maybe only running it once or twice one, maybe a broken play, and he's a competitor, and you can't take the competitive nature out of guys. But, um, you know, and, that, and then another one is a design or whatever. But, but, but two or three rushes instead of five, instead of six, instead of seven, instead of eight. Um, I'm more uh, prone to, to, to liking that, you know, for this Bills offense. And, you know, look, uh, they were just the dominant team. I mean, you know, their, their, their defense is just absolutely suffocating. They picked off Kenny Pickett. They frustrated him. I know that there were some skirmishes and all the rest towards the end of the game. Um, but Pickett was awful um, in, in some spots, and he was great in others. And I think that there's a lot there with Kenny Pickett. I think there's a serious, seriously a bright future. Um, I don't like Matt Canada as an offensive coordinator. Um, you know, obviously Pittsburgh knows receivers. They've done a good job drafting and developing and keeping the latest being George Pickens, who made some catches that were out of this world. Uh, they've got Deontay Johnson. They have Chase Claypool. But um, you know the Bills had a lot of a lot of players, man, who can step up and, and, and close gaps and cover and adjust. And the Bills were all over the field defensively. I mean, they were all over the field. Um, you know, Pittsburgh uh, had the fumble from Pierre. He lost that one. Um, you know, the Bills were able to intercept Kenny Pickett once. Kyer Elam, and, and and by the way, what a great 2022 draft class performance uh, by uh, Khalil Shakir and a little bit of James Cook and certainly Kyrie Elam with his first interception, right? I mean, that's those were some pretty nice performances uh, against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, you know, and then the Bills, you know, when you, when you start looking at the defensive box score, um, I thought there were five, really five main guys. They had three sacks on the day. Epinesa, Von Miller, and Tyrell Dodson 
each had one sack. But I, I wanted to kind of go into uh, the, 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 the top five most impressive guys on defense because a couple of these guys aren't in there you know, for, for the long haul. I mean, they're in there because maybe somebody's injured. Well, the first one's Tyrell Dodson. Tyrell Dodson had an unbelievable game. 11 total tackles, seven of which were solo, and he had a sack. He was all over the football field. He was great. He was filling in for Tremaine Edmonds. He was outstanding in this football game. Okay, the rookie Elam was outstanding in this football game. He had the interception. He got up to a slow start. He was getting burned on a few plays here and there. But then 10 total tackles, seven of which were solo, just a great game. DeMar Hamlin is in there regularly because Micah Hyde is out for the year, okay? And in this particular game, the Bills were missing the best safety duo in the NFL altogether. You know, we know that they're playing without Hyde. They were playing without Jordan Poyer, you know, hope, hoping to get him back for the Kansas City game. Like, this is a safety unit that's not Poyer and Hyde and not veteran-laden and not, I mean, it, it, it's, it's young, 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 young players, and DeMar Hamlin continues to impress. He was awesome in coverage. He was awesome in tackling. He was awesome at, at coming up and stopping the run. Eight total tackles, eight were, uh, six were solo. And DeMar Hamlin, let us remind you, if you need reminding, DeMar Hamlin was a sixth-round pick in last year's NFL draft. In the 2021 draft, he was the 202nd, uh, 212th excuse me, overall pick in the sixth round. <clears throat> That's pretty good. <laughs> That's pretty good stuff by Brandon Bean. Another guy who really impressed me is Jaquan Johnson, the other safety. This is why the Bills, even when they miss Micah Hyde, or in Sunday's case, missing both Poyer and Hyde, they still feel really confident because they love Jaquan Johnson and they love DeMar Hamlin. And that's probably why you haven't seen Jordan Poyer get a contract. You know, when Jordan Poyer's in there, he's amazing. We know that. But he is, you know, starting to get banged up a little bit here, and he's 31 years old. Jaquan Johnson is 26 years old, and he was a six-round pick for the Bills in 2019. Now all of a sudden you've got two six-round picks at safeties in DeMar Hamlin and in Jaquan Johnson who are just playing lights-out football. There's no other way to say it. They do not blow coverages. They know the scheme. They are, they're well, well coached. Uh, they listen to their coaches. Uh, they, they learn and, and groom under the tutelage of the aforementioned Poyer and Hyde, and they've just been spectacular. I mean, that's just all there is to it. This Bills team, Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, have built so much depth and versatility that they can miss multiple players and get away with it and win, you know? There's no doubt. <laughs> you can get away with it and win. And I am absolutely floored at how both Johnson and Hamlin have been playing. The, the other guy I wanted to highlight here is, is Taron Johnson because, you know, when you think about the most underrated defensive player on the Bills on the national scene, you know, would somebody pick Matt Milano? Maybe, but I feel like a lot of people know him because when he's on the primetime stage, he's always blowing up plays and all the rest. I feel like the guy's Taron Johnson. I really do. He's probably the best slot corner in the NFL. And there isn't anything this guy, you know, can't do. And, you know, five tackles, five, all five were solo, had one tackle for a loss. Again, he's doing the things at corner, at slot corner, taking away the middle of the field, guarding, you know, uh, uh, talented, talented slot receivers and in some cases tight ends. He monitors the run game. 
he's kind of like another general out there outside of Tremaine Edmonds. And I know Edmonds was out, but think, look at the job that Johnson and others did with Edmonds out in terms of the tackle game. You know, the Tyrell Dodsons and the Johnsons and the safeties I just mentioned. You know, and here we go again, man. Weber State 2018 round four, Taron Johnson. You know, and they just gave him that, uh, you know, the, the, the extension. I'm, I'm just, um, I'm just really, really impressed with, with Taron Johnson. Uh, and look, Bernard impressed me. Specter impressed me, right? Daquan Jones keeps doing his thing, blah, blah, blah. But I wanted to highlight those specific five guys because they're kind of getting thrown in, um, here. And look, if Trey White were healthy, maybe Kyrie Elam wouldn't even be a starting corner, you know, certainly not CB1 and Dane Jackson would probably be CB2, right? Um, but he's been thrown in there. They drafted him. They let Levi Wallace go. They have a ton of confidence in Kyrie Elam, the rookie. He's a competitor. He's physical. He played a lot of man-to-man in, in college, so he's now finally getting into and used to the zone. He's been great. He's been great. And, you know, I've just been so impressed, I mean, really with all of them, but for this particular game, because over and over and over and over again, guys' numbers are being called, and they've continued to impress over and over and over again. This should be a 5-0 football team. They dominated the Miami Dolphins. This should be a 5-0 football team. As it is, the next best, best thing is 4-1. And now it's at Kansas City, um, you know, in, in, in a game that, you know, we know what these games are like. It's prime time. It's Nance and Romo. It's a ton on the line. Um, you know, how, just how important is it? Well, if the Bills lose, is their season in jeopardy? Of course not. Um, if the Bills win, are we going banana land? I hope not, because the Bills still have to do it when it counts the most, which is the postseason. But you can't get to the postseason unless you play the regular season. And this regular season game is going to go a long way towards who gets home field advantage. And I'm here to tell you that if it's in Kansas City, the AFC title game, Kansas City is probably going to win the game again. If it's in Buffalo, it's probably Buffalo's time. Right? That's how big this game is. Is it... Wildly important? Sure. Why not? It's not, you know, a, 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 a backbreaker, a season ruiner, uh, any of that kind of crap. But is it vitally important? Sure. When you look at the home field situation, absolutely it is. And the Bills have a bye week after this game. Put it all out on the table, you know. Hopefully you're going to get Jordan Poyer back. Hopefully Ed Oliver, who is back, is 100%. He didn't quite look at this past weekend. Um you know, you're hoping to get a, a lot of these guys, these reinforcements back for this big, 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 big game. If you can win this game, you're 5-1, and one, which is one win better than I had them at the bye week. I had the Bills uh, at 4-2. and two. I thought that that was a very uh, lofty but yet achievable goal, um, considering, you know, going into the year with some some injuries and then getting re- more injured and more injured and more injured and more injured. Um, and the schedule, I mean, you got to go at the Rams. You're hosting the Titans, who have now figured some things out the last couple of weeks. At Miami, which we know that game they dominated, but they lost. Uh, you have to go at Baltimore. They were down and had to come back. Pittsburgh at home, winnable game, but they're still Pittsburgh. Okay, 5-1 and one, if they beat Kansas City. Yeah, I mean, I think you sign up for that big time. Right now, 4-1 and one looks pretty good, but they should be 5-0. and oh. And 5-0 and oh would mean, obviously that they would be in the driver's seat for uh, home field advantage, even if they lost this game to Kansas City, because that would put them, you know, at uh, uh, at 5-1 and one, uh, Kansas City, 
you know, again, assuming if you won the first five, Miami being the lone exception there with a loss, but if you win your first five and lose to KC, you're five and one. You know, Kansas City then is also same record. They would have the tiebreaker at that point six games in because they're also four and one. But it's not like you can't be a little bit more in a driver's seat at five and one, even if they're tied with you and they have the advantage because of the head-to-head, the Bills could still outdistance the Chiefs. It's a little bit harder when you're four and two and they're five and one and they have the tiebreak, right? It's almost like a double whammy. It's a double shot to the gut. So this game's important. This game's vitally important for the home field situation. The Bills then have the bye week. Then they welcome Green Bay. Green Bay looks terrible right now. They lost to the Giants in London. You know, if you can get a win there. Now, again, I don't do that's a win. This is a loss. This is a win. That's a loss. I don't do that. What I am going to do, though, is tell you that from a hypothetical guesswork standpoint, if you can beat Green Bay, let's just say the Bills lose to the Chiefs. Okay, four and two, right? You get the bye week. They're pissed off the entire two weeks. Uh, You're riding into the Green Bay game, and you're hungry as hell. You win that game. You're 5-2. and The Bills then have at Jets, home Vikings, home Browns, at Lions, at Pats, home Jets, home Dolphins with a revenge factor, and at Bears on Christmas Eve before they go at Cincinnati for Monday Night Football on January 2nd. The Bengals looked really, really bad against the Baltimore Ravens. I'm here to tell you, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games before the Bengals, the Bills, I, I think there's a real possibility that they could run the table there. And they need to run the table. They should run the table. They need to smack the Jets. The Jets look a lot more formidable. But again, they have Zach Wilson. The Bills have Josh Allen. And I could go on down the line between the two rosters, right? Um, Minnesota, Kirk Cousins in the fourth quarter in Buffalo. Good luck. Cleveland at home, is Deshaun Watson even going to be in there? Load up and stop Nick Chubb, that should be a win. At Detroit, should be a win. At New England, should be a win. Home for the Jets, home for the Dolphins, at Bears, all should be wins. The Bills could feasibly be, if they're 5-2 and two after Green Bay, they could feasibly be 13-2 and, and, and two after the Bears game. And then if you split the last two... Maybe you lose at Cincinnati, beat New England, whatever. That's a 14-win season if you you know split the last two. And they could win the last two. Who knows? But I think that the Bills' best-case scenario at the bye week is to be 4-2. and or, Well, before the season started, my best case was 4-2. and two. If they beat KC 5-1, and one, ooh, okay, now we're looking kind of at different things. But what I'm looking at is that stretch. They've already gotten rid of the gauntlet after Kansas City and Green Bay, then you've got that stretch right there where you need to do exactly what you did to the Pittsburgh Steelers this past weekend. You need to go up and beat inferior opponents. Beat them. That's all there is to it. And, you know, the Pittsburgh game was just a great, great dominating win. Mike Lindsley with you here. It is the Pandemonium Podcast on the Built-In Buffalo Podcast Network. Wherever you get podcasts on your smartphone device, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review, and you can hit us all over the social platforms. Subscribe to our YouTube page. Follow us at Built-In Buffalo underscore on Twitter, and you can follow me at Mike L Sports as well. A huge thank you to Marv Levy. Thanks for listening, Bills Mafia, and as I always tell you, enjoy the games. (laughs) 